Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Allison Cook to talk with her about her brand new book, The Best of You, Break Free from Painful Patterns, Mend Your Past, and Discover Your True Self and God. Now, if this is your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I want to tell you about a couple of things that inform pretty much everything that we do here on the podcast. The first thing is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations, that we want to engage in the types of conversations to where maybe you don't feel like you can have those types of conversations with just anybody. We want to, or not only do we want to, but we believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, whether or not we disagree with them, you know, a little bit or a lot. We believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, whether it's something serious or it's something trivial. And we want to be the person who was there for us. We want to return the favor to the next generation, or we want to be the mentor that we wish that we had, or the mentor that we did have. And we want to be that person for the next generation. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today in my in my conversation with Allison of how do we work on becoming that person? How do we work on our, our past behaviors and our patterns that get in the way of us becoming the person that that God has created us to be? And so we're going to get into that in just a moment. However, if you are a lifelong learner, if you want to continue to learn and grow, one of the best things that you could do here that we provide here in the Learner's Corner is by subscribing to my newsletter to where I give you all of my best recommendations for the things that I'm learning from and the things that I'm learning about. It's a one-stop shop. I send it, it's an email that I send out once a week with the best books, newsletter, not newsletters, but articles, documentaries, YouTube videos, music, anything that I'm enjoying or learning from or thinking about. I put it all in that newsletter and it goes out once a week. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Allison, and then we're going to jump right into the conversation. Dr. Allison Cook is a psychologist, speaker, and writer who helps women become comfortable in their own skin and fully live out their God-given potential. And we talk about this in the conversation, though most of her work is directed towards women. As I was going through this book, there's so many takeaways from me as well that I was like, oh yeah, I could see myself in that. And we get into this in, in the conversation as well. For over 20 years, she has helped create transformative results or transformative results for women, ministry leaders, couples, and families. Her Christian adaption of the fast-growing evidence-based internal family system model therapy provides a step-by-step approach to managing emotions in partnership with God. And she currently resides in Wyoming with her husband and their young adult children. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Well, Allison, it is so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, one of the places that I love to begin a lot of conversations is I love hearing like the origin story of a book or of a, of a work of art. And I would just love to hear that for you for this book, The Best of You. Yeah. Well, there's two origin stories for it. I mean, it's a 20 year, 20 year in the making, my own journey of really figuring out the self piece of the three relationships I think we're supposed to have with God, with others, and with ourselves. That third relationship I didn't understand and didn't have and didn't think I should have. So that was sort of the 20-year journey of not really having a sense of what it means to have a self, that God wants us to be a self, to care for ourselves. Um, And that was sort of my journey into being a psychologist. And then the two-year journey was having a medical crisis two years ago. Um, When all of this was kind of starting to gel, all of a sudden I I descended into a medical crisis that kind of uh, forced me to test everything that uh, I was hoping to write about. Mm. Take me back to, you know, you mentioned the, 
the self and us having a relationship with yeah. that. Do you remember like the first time that that idea of having a relationship with yourself began to, you know, began to like stroke your curiosity or like you opened up your eyes to that? You know, it at first, yes, and in some ways, one is it academically was it mostly was abstract. So when I started my doctoral work, I started reading people like Kierkegaard, um, even like Carl Rogers, some of the humanists who weren't, Carl Kierkegaard's a Christian, but a lot of them weren't even Christians, but it was like, I remember the book uh, Carl Rogers wrote called On Becoming a Person. And I was like, that just makes sense. We have to become a person. But see, I'd been taught all that was bad. So that that idea of becoming a person became very intriguing to me. I was like, what does that mean? And as a Christian, what does that mean? And, you know, so academically, I was fascinated by that idea. And the closest, you know, person that I really kind of got who talked about it from a Christian angle was Kierkegaard, um, whose stuff is really hard to read, but it's brilliant. And essentially what he's saying in a lot of his works is that we will become ourselves in heaven, right? And the other person, C.S. Lewis talks about it a little bit in The Great Divorce. It's a great book where he kind of he kind of shows this picture of you will become yourself. So you better become someone you like and yeah. you want to be living eternity with. And I was like, dang, that is just profound. And and why don't I hear more about that? And so, and this was, you know, 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago when psychology was still kind of thought of by Christians as bad. You know, it was it was before the boundaries book had come out by Cloud and Towns, and it was a little bit like, mm. and I was like, but that just makes sense. So really, it was academic, but then it was just in my own life personally. It was it was trial and error. It was trying to figure it out. What does it mean to listen to myself? And and almost feeling like that was again bad um, because these were things that weren't talked about at that time, and they mm -hmm. still are barely talked about. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like it's it is interesting because you know boundaries is a book that gets talked about so much, and yes. yet and yet still, psychology is the like you don't hear like a lot of like pastors or preachers like quoting psychological studies in their sermons mm -hmm. or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, still I'll hear pastors only really talk about psychologists so as to critique them, and I mm -hmm. get that on one level because and we did it to ourselves you know early psychologists set themselves up against religion but there's also just so much in the field that is that coincides with what we're taught as christians and that's really become my work is to integrate the two that's what i love to do and there are there are other people doing it too now which is yeah. great so I want to talk about the the two origin stories that you mentioned and you write mm -hmm. about them in the book and about your medical emergency and you talk a little bit about how the second one, the medical emergency, kind of gave you a new perspective on some mm -hmm. of your previous work. Can you talk about that new perspective that that gave you? Yeah, because in many ways when that struck, I, I was in a season of having, um, I would say from my early 30s to I had about a decade of just like deep, I mean, you know, there was good things in it too, but just hard growth hard in this realm of becoming a whole person and so when that but but, but when that struck i was actually in a, a fairly good season i was enjoying life I, my family had you know we were doing well i was doing well and so it's like some of these things i was i wanted to write about were more in the past in the distant past a little bit mm -hmm. and so when that happened right as i was kind of getting a, a stronger grasp on what i wanted to write about it's like I, this idea of trauma, right? It really was a trauma in the sense of um, it was a sudden, I had a stroke. It was very sudden. It was unexpected. There was no reason for it. Um, and so it tested, it was like, how does that happen out of the blue? And so it sent me into a couple of months of doing the work that I take my clients on, right? What do you do when your nervous system is all lit up and you're having anxiety and you're scared and spiritually? I'm like, wow, God you would let that happen like whoa wait a minute i can't bargain my way out of this you know um all the things that intellectually i kind of understood but here i was living it very real time and so that's what i meant by that and 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 there was no way out but through you can't just because you understand theologically or psychologically what's happening you still have to go through it it's still 
hard. And so that was what, um, for the next few months, I took time off work. Um, I really just kind of quieted down my life, just kind of took everything out. I, in some ways now, it was two years ago, I have nostalgia for that time mm. because I could just, it, it, as painful as it was, I just spent so much time with God, with myself, trying to really be present to all the different nuances of what that meant for my life. Talk to me about how you're different after that time. Well, the main thing I would say is the the last chapter of The Best of You, when I talk about what it means to live at peace with yourself, I think that was the fruit of it, was just every morning just kind of, you know, looking at the mountains, I'm looking at them right now, you know, and so they always indicate to me and and noticing the contents, which was fear, there was sorrow, there was some um little you know but when when you pay attention to what's going on in your soul you know there's uncertainty there's like man god i don't i don't get it but you bring all of that out before god and and god meets you in that there's this intimacy of being known of knowing yourself of being known by god that i that is peace but it's not the peace of sometimes we think of peace as oh i just walk through life in this wonderful state of bliss you know it's the peace of i faced the hard things i faced down you know the hard things in myself the hard things in life and it's okay because i'm with god and god's here and i'm here and there's just this weird freedom that comes from that it's like okay what's there to be afraid of then you know um and so i would say freedom is the fruit of that and peace just peace with myself peace with god um, that I, that, that has stayed with me, you know, you know, it's not, you know, I'm a normal human. I, you know, get knocked off, but yeah. I can return to it much more quickly. Mm. Mm. One of the quotes that you, uh, I think is that you open up the book with is a quote from Henry Nowen. Yeah. And it says, and this, this quote just struck me so, so deeply, especially as it pertains to your mm. book, you know, he says, over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success popularity or power, but self-rejection. Mm-hmm. Can you talk and unpack that statement mm-hmm. a little bit and even just the effect that it has on you? Yeah, because I think I think those other ones are the easy kind of shiny objects to, again, in church culture, you know, to success and power and greed. And those are the things, you know, we should get out of ourselves, which I agree with. I mean, they're, they're, but this idea of self, what people don't understand, again, I think, and I think it's it, the ancients did. I think that something happened in modern Protestantism, modern evangelicalism that kind of wanted to throw out the self. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't work because God, we bear the image of God. We, you are, a, a, you, you offer a glimpse of who God is in a unique and beautiful way to this world. And the problem is, if you deny that, you're denying the wrong thing. If you reject that, you're rejecting the wrong thing. And that's where we get confused. That's what I did. I tried to reject the goodness that God had put in me. And that's tragic. And so that quote helps me understand that, that we're supposed to reclaim the, the, the original goodness that God, you know, we, we, you know, we as Christians, we talk about this idea of God you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are knit in your mother's womb. We kind of have that idea, but then we go right to die to yourself, you know, crucify the flesh. And it's like, that's confused. Those are two very confusing messages to hold side by side, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. It's talk, like, talk which, to, which one is it? <laughs> yeah, talk to me about that that tension in there of having like a high view of ourselves that we are made in the yeah. image of God and yet, just as Jesus says, we do need to die to ourselves. Yes, as well. it's very confusing, I think, and we're not talking a lot. That's where I'm trying to come in with the nuance. Well, somewhere between fearfully and wonderfully made and die to yourself, there is a you. You know, there is a beauty to who we are. Yeah. And I think that's what now one is getting at, right? If we hate ourselves, if we if we try to beat ourselves up, that actually is is. And, and Kierkegaard would have said the same thing. That's what he says is, is the sickness unto death, is refusing to be the person God made, you know, because that's, that, that's the image of God. 
you know, and again, we're as Christians, we're sort of so into the fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, then we need to be fearfully and wonderfully made and understand what the holiness of what it means for me to do this work of healing myself, not rejecting myself, healing myself so I can shine even more brightly as God's beloved child. So that's what it, what I get at as true self in God. You know, that's in the subtitle of the book. It was very important for me to put the in God, mm-hmm. right? It's a partnership with God. Um, but that was my journey of figuring out, you know, look, sidelining myself isn't working. I have to learn to bring more of myself, the true self, the goodness of what of who God made me to be into my relationships. It also means honoring my capacity, honoring my limits, honoring my talents, you know, honoring and understanding my blind spots because they're there. Yeah. I, I'm, I imagine that this is probably a pretty foreign idea for yeah. a lot of people. And so how do you go about like starting this journey of mm-hmm. it? Because it can be, especially like anytime you encounter something new or unknown, mm-hmm. you just don't know what to do. And so mm-hmm how do you begin this journey of like valuing yourself or even <laughs> learning to love yourself yeah. too? Yeah. So the first step I think for people is to realize, which is what I was kind of trying to, that it's, it's not, it's in fact part of the work mm-hmm. of discipleship. It's part of the work of spiritual formation. It's part of the work of following Jesus. And that's where I kind of unpack this when, when Jesus says to deny yourself pick up your cross and follow him there's another passage where he says um he talks about the seed the metaphor of the seed that goes into the ground right it dies but then what does it happens it becomes more much more becomes that beautiful tree or that beautiful plant that's the goal the goal isn't the death the goal is the beauty (laughs) the luscious fruit right so first of all is that just to realize um and then secondly it's really becoming curious so where i tell people to start is we're taught to love god we're taught to focus on god we're taught to love others so what do we do for others that we can start to apply to ourselves well you know if you have kids if you're in a relationship your friends how do you show up for them you ask questions you get curious about them Mm -hmm. you you try to listen well you try to do nice things for them you try to honor when they tell you their limits, right? So what if you did some of those things for yourself? What if you were just curious about yourself from each day? Like, huh, I wonder what I'm feeling today. I wonder wonder why I'm a little bit tired or, man, I notice a little bit of resentment. I wonder what that's about, right? What if we just spent a little time each day getting curious about how we're doing, Mm -hmm. checking in with ourselves, you know? It's simple. And and that's part of, this nurturing of the self that we're supposed to do when Jesus says, love others as yourself, flip it, love yourself as others. How do you love your spouse? You check in with her. How are you doing today? So maybe I'll do that. How am I doing today? What do I need today? What, what struggle am I facing today? Not to focus on it, but to understand it so that I can become a healthier version of myself. Yeah. And what came to my mind is that it was just, and you, you've alluded to it, if not directly said it, is the importance of slowing down yeah. to have that conversation yeah, that's too. Right. Yeah. That's right. And, that, that's and that goes back to the limits that you said too. Of, yeah. Uh, another yeah. quote that you have in there that you uh, say is, for centuries, most women have been taught to accept a silent message. This message tells us, disregard yourself for the sake of others. Now, I I don't imagine in too many scenarios, someone is probably saying, you know, disregard yourself for the sake of others. But how do you see that message being reinforced? Like, what does that, what does that sound like in the subtle ways, the direct ways, all of that, that reinforces that message? Yeah, the, the die to yourself, the, which I think is, is, we hear it in a way that is not helpful sometimes. So the diet, all what you should always put, put yourself second, put, you know, put, put yourself last. You should always put other people first. You should always love others. You should always be kind. I mean, these are, it's hard. Cause those are, I 
those are biblical messages, right? Um, Sometimes I think there is a kind of person that needs to only hear that message. But there's a lot of folks who are working so hard to only do that, that they're missing the the counter part of that message. And it's not just women, it's a lot of men too. You know, and you, you know, like in a lot of my, my male friends were like, no, I picked that up to, to a fault too. Um, But, but definitely women, it's like, and that was my story. You know, it was just like, I was just like vigilantly, if, if, if I want it, it must be bad. I should only, ever consider other people's needs you know it's like paul says i became a pharisee you know it's almost like i became zealous and it was like oh golly that is just not gonna work it just doesn't work for us we're we i need you know people too i need i need to honor my needs so you know i just think it's those kind of messages that we pick up so much and especially in faith communities um to an extreme without hearing also these other things that I tried to pull out in the book, which is Jesus honored his limits. Jesus had a strong sense of self. Jesus said no. Jesus was not on all the time. Jesus sometimes had harsh words for people, you know, mm-hmm. and yep. we don't we don't talk about that. Yeah. Talk, you know, one reality that we've talked about that that shapes and not just women, but but all people is mm-hmm. the confusing church messages that you mentioned. And there's there's two mm-hmm. others that you talk about in the book too. You talk about childhood traumas mm-hmm. and you talk about cultural conditioning. Yeah. Can you talk about like some examples of what that can look like and how that shapes us as well? Yeah. So for that, I mostly was talking about women a lot. I also think anyone who's felt marginalized, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot of folks, anyone who's felt for whatever reason, um, felt... Um, that die to yourself message doesn't work. And I, I heard a, I heard a, a woman speak, uh, Lisa Harper, Lisa Sharon Harper. She was talking about, she's an African-American woman who was talking about her great, great, great grandmother. And it was a really fat. And she's like, you know, so I'm going to go to my great, great, great grandmother, who's a slave, who's being beaten. You need to die to yourself. You just need to die to yourself. It's like, that is not the right message. That is not the right message, you know? And yeah. And I don't think that would be what Jesus, you know, we see Jesus having diff- slightly different nuances to his message for different people. When he's talking mm-hmm. to the sick, even when he's talking to the folks who are considered sinners, he's inviting them to come in, come on in and be healed. You know, he's not saying die to yourself to that. It, 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 there's, there's different ways he treats different kinds of people. And so I think when the cultural conditioning comes in there, you know, especially women, when you know, sometimes I think to myself, it, it baffles me. My mom was not allowed to get a credit card in her own name without my dad. Mm. So there were very real limits on what my mom, the freedoms that she had. And again, that I'm not, I have no political, I have, I have no. zero political or theological. That's just a fact, you know, that my mom couldn't, there were things she could not do without my dad. My grandmother, you know, even more to the point, sometimes. Uh, I would say maybe maybe it would be my great grandmother that couldn't vote. You know, there are very real things that women couldn't run in marathons. You know, my daughter's super athletic. You know, and I'm like, you couldn't do some things. You know, and and those things kind of they're in the air that we breathe. And so when we hear, when I hear this message, oh, you should make yourself small. I've already been made small in a way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so then that message falls on. So I've already felt that I need to be small. I've already been conditioned that way as a woman. I shouldn't speak up in church. I should be quiet. I should be humble. I should bow my head. And then, and then, you know, you should make yourself even smaller. And so I'm shrinking even smaller. Then we get into this trauma response. that's called the fawn response where it's like, I'm trying to disappear. And then it's like, I don't think that's the message God has for me. I've got to come out and become my true self. And again, I'm not, I don't have a political or a theological agenda with that. I have a, I have a, I'm made in the image of God agenda with that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm listening to you talk and it just, it reminds me of my story a lot too, because 
Like I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so part of it was, you know, don't ruffle any feather, don't ruffle any feathers, you know, fall in line, all of that different stuff. And what I've really found over the last couple of years is God just reaffirming in me of what you were, of what you're saying of, no, I actually want you to use your voice. I want you to be you. (sighs) And, and it just made me think of like, sometimes it is easy to, to get into our box of like, yep, this applies to some people, this applies, but it doesn't apply to, you know, men and this. And it's like, and I think that's what's just so free. That was so freeing to me of just reading in the book and going like, yep, sometimes it is gender. Sometimes it is race. And sometimes it is the cultural conditioning of what you've been brought up in. Yes. And how much uh, power can play. Like if you don't have any power, then you might believe, or if you didn't have any power growing up, you might believe, well, I, I don't deserve this or I'm, yes. I don't, I'm not good enough for that. A hundred percent. And that, that conditioning comes. So really through our families mm-hmm. of origin, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're, you know, and it, it, it is, you, you're using the right word that those authority figures, and I hate, you know, I always feel bad going, I'm not, I don't want to go after parents. It's hard to yeah. be a parent. I'm a parent, yeah. right? Even the best of parents, but that is our first glimpse. That's the way we're yeah. first conditioned. It yeah. really is. And so if we're feeling like I got to be at it, I got to be quiet, you know, even just things like children should be seen and not heard, you know, or like the expectations that come in a prominent pastor's family where you can't to- step out of line. Yeah. You know, you pick up these messages deep inside that then you carry with you into adulthood that you have to learn to heal. Hmm. Yeah. It, it makes me think, I think it's um, Brene Brown who talks about that kids are horrible interpreters. And so they see, they see something and just what you were saying, like, that's the thing of like, it's not even necessarily the parent's fault. It's just that kids see things and they just don't understand. And so we internalize that message and we don't talk about it with anybody. That's right. Yeah. And you're right. Even so that the quote in the book that I talk about, Gabor Matez, who's the trauma therapist, talks about how children don't get traumatized because they're hurt. They get traumatized because they're alone. Yeah with the hurt and every child something happens and they don't talk about it no matter how wonderful the parents are or not wonderful and we make self-shaming message that's how we we tend to self-shame and self-blame those kids made fun of me because i'm bad because something's wrong with me my parents are fighting it's my fault Mm -hmm. you know my sibling is a bully it's my fault. If I could work harder, my sibling wouldn't do this. That's how kids interpret things. And that's, it's, it's faulty. Mm-hmm. And so then we have to get into adulthood and go, wait a minute. What if it wasn't my fault? <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the journey for all of us. Yeah. Uh, the next thing that I would love to, you to ask, or love to talk with you about is uh, you also talk about like the four responses to fear that we yeah. have whenever our childhood, you know, yeah. uh, traumas are triggered. Can you talk about that and how that can show up in each differently? Yeah, the most known ones are the fight flight response. We all yeah. kind of understand. Okay, some people tend more toward fight. You know, if something, you know, you can just feel the adrenaline rise and you get big and you're going to go after, you know. And, and it's a nervous system response, right? So yeah. you're you're responsible for it. And also there's a lot of grace and compassion because there's a reason people go into fight response, right? Then there's the flight response where that person kind of wants to run and hide, avoid, get away from. And then the freeze response is where they're sort of deer in the headlights, you know, like, I don't know what to do here. Um, again, these are nervous system responses to danger. Yeah. perceived danger. Again, they get conditioned in childhood. We take them into adulthood. Um, and I tell the story in the book where, you know, if you had a hypercritical parent, any s- sniff of criticism, even when it's not terrible, will, might send you into one of those responses. And then there's this fourth response, the fawn response that Pete Walker, therapist Pete Walker, talks about in his book, um, Complex, PT- Complex CPTSD. Um, The fawn response looks like being nice. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, if you're that kid that's being bullied or even just there's people around you that are fighting, there's a lot of conflict in your home. Um, Maybe you're a pastor's kid and 
you know, you learn to survive by being as nice and pleasing and fawning, which is sort of this way of, you know, kind of a little fawn in the wilderness is very sweet and mild and camouflage as possible because that's how you keep yourself safe and you get rewarded for it. People say, you're such a good boy. You're such a good girl. What a good kid. You get this hit, right, of chemicals. That feels good. So that's the only way as an adult, you know how to deal with things is to be nice. The problem is people take advantage of you. You're not actually getting your own needs met. You know, sometimes you need to learn how to say, this isn't right, you know, or I'm hurting here. And so that fawn response is a fourth way that we learn how to survive, that we have to learn to pay attention to. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the ones that I most resonated with yeah. too, because I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, yeah. and and I, I didn't want to upset anybody. So like I I learned to put on like, and this this isn't this wasn't very helpful. And thankfully I like wor- I've worked through quite a bit of it, but like I would not allow myself to feel the emotion in it, like because yeah. I didn't want anybody to see my reaction in case they uh, in case they were upset. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you learned how to kind of neutralize. Oh yeah. I, yeah. my, my friend Todd would always, he would call me the Android because I mastered it so well, <laughs> but I was going to say the downside was, is that I cut off my feet. <laughs> I cut off my feet. <laughs> That's right. That yeah. camouflage, it works to a degree. Yeah. Right, that you can keep other people happy, but you're not actually, that's exactly what I talk about in the book. You're not actually mm-hmm. showing up in a way that is vulnerable, that allows other people to get it, to come in. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on this. And again, I'm just thinking of this as as we're talking. Yeah. Um, it, I almost thought like, I can see like the gift that I think that allowed me mm-hmm. to, to harness, because I think one of the things that it's helped me do is focus on what matters most mm. like and how like some people you know they'll they'll maybe you know i imagine in like the fight response they pick a fight over like everything that matters mm-hmm. and i yeah. don't know if it's just like the fawningness or just maybe it's just me getting healthy but mm-hmm. uh going like okay there's some things that just aren't i'm not going to react to them because they mm-hmm. just don't matter that much however mm-hmm. i am going to be better at pursuing the things that genuinely matter to me i don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, sure. So meaning that for some, in some ways that was constructive to you in terms of helping you identify what mattered most. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so as long as you can learn, I agree with you. It's an yeah. adaptive skill. It's not bad. Yeah. Not, neither is, nor is the fight response, yeah. right? As long as you learn how to balance it yeah. out. So the fight response, yep. again, people who are inclined toward that, it's like, I don't, and I don't know, are you, do you talk about the Enneagram? Yes. Yep. What's your Enneagram type? I am a type three. It, yeah. <laughs> and I bet you might have a, do you have a two wing or a four wing? Uh, do you know? I I think I lean, I can lean into either side. Either. I think. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting about Enneagram type because you think about the type eight, right? That might tend toward fight. Yeah. And then again, they have to learn how to not always go there, but boy, is it helpful when you learn to lead it. And yeah. that's what you're saying as a, as a two, three or four, these heart centered, which is also yep. me. Yep. It's not a bad, that, that ability to camouflage, that ability to shape shift. It's not all bad. It's, it can be very constructive. It can help us show up for other people. Mm. As long as we're in charge of it, not the other way around. And we can also learn, like you're saying, when, no, this is one of those times I'm gonna have to advocate for myself yeah. or I'm gonna have to step out from behind that. Yeah, it even just makes me think, and I, you might have you might have said this, but we do need all four responses sometimes. Yes. And and I think like I don't know. Again, I'm just realizing this. Like in the conversation, it's like sometimes we do have that stigma, maybe of like, well, we lean into our one, and that's not good. But it's like right. sometimes there is a there. Sometimes there is a time to fight. Sometimes there is a time to fight. Absolutely, yeah. exactly, and because we have those, they're, they're survival responses. We have them for a reason. They help keep us safe. But the problem is, is when it gets back to as children, we don't realize we have a choice. Yeah. So it's always what we do. It's impulsive. It's uh, it's subconscious. And so what you're getting at, what I talk about from Andy Kolber, from Dan Siegel's, this window of tolerance. It's where our nervous system is is not. It's it's where there's a moment a pause, a slowing down, a breath, 
where there's a consciousness to, I need to pick this battle or I need to remove myself from the situation or I'm going to, you know what I mean? There's a consciousness to it where we're in charge. We're not just at the mercy of that reflexive response. Yeah. Can you talk about the window of tolerance more? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the window of tolerance is the neurobiological language for it, which is this, it's this, I call it in my first book, the place, the spirit led self. It's that place inside Henry Nowen talks about the place inside where we're calm. And it's not the absence of emotion. It's not the absence of, it might be the place where it's like, ouch, or, ooh, I don't like that. I'm present to that inside myself. It's the place where I believe the Holy Spirit also comes to live. And I am going to consciously choose my response. So the window of tolerance is where we're leading ourselves. So instead of being at the mercy where where that where we're going 90 to nothing to whatever one of those four responses, you know, we're conditioned, there's a pause where we're still able. So I can move about my when I'm in my window of tolerance, I'm centered, I'm moving about my day, and my kids are coming at me or someone's coming at me. And I'm in charge of my responses from that place inside. When we move outside of it, is when we risk being at the mercy of this response. So we're going to lash out, you know, we're going to, we're going to go to that conditioned response in a way that's not healthy for us or for other people. Mm-hmm. Right? What, are the si- what are the signs for you to where it's like, yeah, I'm outside of my window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. What, what could people be looking for to help them identify if it's they're when, inside or outside of it? It's when you're lashing out, you know, you're losing your temper or for me, when I'm just, I will know, I'll be like, I just went through the day trying to please every person that came across my path, the fond response. Mm-hmm. And st- you know what? In that moment with that person, I should have said a very polite, no, thank you. <laughs> but yeah. instead I was like, sure. So for me being outside of my window of tolerance, because I don't tend toward fight, I tend toward flight, I tend toward fawn. Mm-hmm. It's when I'm I'm so overwhelmed that I'm not making wise decisions in the moment that account for my, you know, all of who I am. And so I just go into that default pleasing mode. Just please, please, please. It's almost like I picture like a batter in a batting cage. I'm hitting every bat that comes my way with a, yep, I'll get that done. Sure. Yep. No problem. Hmm, yep. 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 Mm-hmm. And that is actually for me a cue. I need to slow down. I need to reconnect to myself, take that deep breath, reconnect to God, get back to center. And then I need to take command of my priorities, of my time, of my talents, saying the wise yeses, saying the important no's. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm back inside that window of tolerance. I notice that I'm being healthy. I'm honoring myself even as I'm trying to honor other people. Hmm. Another like big idea that you talk about in the book is you talk about codependency and codependent yeah. relationships as well. And you talk about uh, that in codependent relationships, you know, there's the helper and then there's the controller mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, I th- sometimes it's easy to see codependency in our relationships yeah. and sometimes mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit more difficult and like it would be difficult on someone for the outside because – to even just see it because someone's more accommodating. Some people is a little bit more like I want it on my terms. Can you talk about maybe some more of the nuance of codependent relationships that, that just doesn't get talked about or it's very, it's, it's not as easy or as apparent to see. Yeah. It's the obvious is the raging alcoholic and the sort of docile, scared, timid person that's kind of picking up all the pieces after that person, Mm -hmm. right? That's the archetype. Right. And so it's easy to blame the raging alcoholic um, when what's happened is a dynamic and and, and in abuse, it it always is, you know, we we never if if, if it's an overtly abusive situation, we always hold the abuser accountable, especially when there's a power differential. But there's so many of codependent are much more nuanced, are much more sort of and I talk about this almost contract. Mm-hmm. unspoken contract that gets formed where two people kind of agree quietly to 
almost work around each other's um, instead of healing, instead of naming, look, this is what's going to be hard for me. I'm an accommodator. I'm a pleaser. And that's what happened. I tell the story with my now husband. We were dating and I was just going into please mode. That's what I do. And he was like, I don't actually, that's not going to be healthy. That's going to lead us down a path of resentment, you know, and, and we got to name that, right? So he, from the get-go was like, he didn't use that word, but he was right. I had to put on the table, I am going to have to learn. That is hard for me to state my needs. It is hard for me to state my preferences. It's my responsibility. No one else can read my mind. And so from the get-go, we had to put those on the table that these are going to be the these instead of someone else could have said oh this is great man she's going to just please me for my whole life cool let's go and 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna take charge and i'm the i'm the leader here and then 10 years down the road you're in this kind of toxic dance where one person's resentful and the other person's you know not learning how to rein in their controlling tendencies right mm -hmm. and neither person has done the work neither person has grown and so so you know even if you run the enneagram wheel you think of eights as more controlling or you think of um certain types as more demanding mm -hmm. uh certain types as more anxious so their needs get put on the table and then you think of certain types the nines maybe the twos both people have to be willing to honor their own stuff and their own growth curve and then come together and support each other in that mm -hmm. so as to be in healthy dependence not in codependence mm. yeah you know just listening to you I, I, it's easy for me to hear like the helper side of it especially because like i i feel like i tend to fall into that yeah. one as well of like stating your needs setting good boundaries what is the what are a couple of the things where, like, if you find yourself, you're like, yeah, I, I am a little bit of the controller. What would you, is it just as simple as respecting the other person's needs or what does that look like? It's honoring it. It's owning it. It's saying, I have this tendency. I, I'm gonna, I like, you know, I, I like power. I like control or um, I want things to be perfect. I mm -hmm. want things to be right. And so I'm going to constantly be talking about the things that I see that are wrong, right? Maybe the one a little bit. I'm going to be, I'm yeah. going to be reforming things a lot. There's a lot of ways. And I don't want to say every Enneagram type leans toward work. You know? yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. even twos can, there's all, we all have ways that we control. Yep. We all have, you know, for the two, it's, I'm going to control the situation by disappearing and making everybody feel helped, you know? So, yeah. but the more overtly controlling, it's naming it, it's owning it, it's honoring it. And it's being open to change to growth to leading that part again versus having that part lead you and so when two people often we're attracted to opposites right we're attracted you know those of you know the the helpers are are attracted to the the controllers in a way mm -hmm. and and so when both people are highly aware highly aware and open to doing their own work it can be beautiful because then you know, that person who has more controlling tendencies is going to work on behalf of the good of other people mm. uh, versus on behalf of themselves. Yeah. I, and again, it might be different. It could be this way for mm -hmm. the the controller or the controlling type in there. Mm -hmm. But for the helper, you know, they, they probably don't have like a very strong sense of identity mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, you're constantly looking to someone else to kind of exactly. affirm that identity. And so if you find yourself in that dynamic, how do you go about figuring out what your identity is and developing that strong sense of identity? Exactly. And that's exactly what part of what where this book came from, Caleb, was this everybody was talking about boundaries, 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 boundaries. And both in my life and in my work with my clients, I was like, there's a pre- step because if you're somebody who has hid made yourself small never stated a need been the helper and you've been drawn to other people you've kind of outsourced your identity your self-esteem to other people the idea of setting a boundary is terrifying mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it sounds great in theory 
but all that anxiety comes in. And it's like, I can't do that. And so it's a great idea, but how do I do it? So that's where in this book, I'm trying to walk you through the very small, tiny, I go into these tiny steps to take that sometimes start just for yourself. Like that's that work of what do I, what's something I, I need today. Don't, don't go to your hardest relationship. Yeah. Don't go to your hardest, go to your safest person, your, your safest person that you know is going to honor you and just practice the low hanging fruit of, Hey, man, I, I'm struggling or, Hey, could, could we, could we do something I want to do today? Oh, sure. What's that going to be? You know, for someone who has really struggled to state a need, state a limit, state a preference, state a desire, start so, so small first. Start with your safest person and start with a really easy ask. You've got to build trust with yourself first. Um, don't, don't take it to your hardest relationship is, is kind of the way that I, 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 I coach people through it. Hmm. I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is it possible to be a helper in a relationship and a controller mm -hmm. in another relationship? Sure. Okay. I don't think we're static. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I, I was just curious cause I just had, I was just, uh, I was just thinking about <laughs> different your own relationships. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, well, sure, because you sense. Yeah. And you, you again, especially as a three, right? You sense other people very well. Yeah. So you're kind of aware. Oh, this person needs me to kind of stay small and kind of. But this person, man, they kind of are looking up to me. Yeah. All right, right. So yep. you're gonna you're gonna be able to figure out. And so just again, nothing wrong with that. Be curious, no shame, but yeah. stewarding that being I'll, I'll catch that in myself. I'll be very aware. Oh, this is someone that's looking up to me and looking to me and I need to be really careful how I use the power mm -hmm. that they're giving me that I don't even necessarily want, but but I can tell that I have. And so I need to be really careful how I honor that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing which was just like a, and I just hadn't thought about it this way is you talk about how identity and intimacy are mm -hmm. correlated and connected as well. Can you mm -hmm. talk about how they are? So the psychologist Eric Erickson talked in the um, nine stage of nine, uh, his nine stages of human development, which I thought I think are really brilliant, and again help fill out this whole Christian idea of fearfully and wonderfully made to you know die <laughs> you know die to yourself. Yeah. Um, sort of like well, there's like a whole lot of development that occurs within that, and he says that we we spend the first you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty years of our lives understanding ourselves. And that, that sense of identity is what sets us up for healthy intimacy. It's very hard to go into a relationship in a healthy way with another person if you don't know who you are. Because a healthy relationship is two people who come together in a healthy way and say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And we, we become one, which doesn't mean we collapse into each other. It means we work to negotiate something even more beautiful together. We don't lose ourselves in each other. We bring two whole people together and create this beautiful third thing. Yeah. That's the picture of intimacy that's biblical, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens when we don't have that strong sense of identity is we collapse into, we say, oh, this person. And then we, this idea of oneness becomes I'll become who you are. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's that codependency, right? Simultaneously, I do want to be clear. There's a counter dependency, which is two people with such strong senses of identity. And this is what we see in the world. Maybe if you don't bring this idea where Jesus wants people to come together in healthy dependence, where two people are so strong in their identities, they're never they're never going to be able to forge something. You know, that's counter dependency. That's, I don't need anybody else at all. I'm only going to be true to me. That's not healthy either. It's, I know who I am. I see who you are. And together, let's create something beautiful. Mm. That's that healthy dependence that, mm. that is intimacy, right? Intimacy is, I, this is who I am. I'm letting you in. I'm letting you see me. 
I see you, wow, that becomes this beautiful, mysterious third thing that's intimacy. How do you go about like interacting with or being in a relationship or loving somebody who maybe that that wasn't the norm that they yeah. grew up with and they don't know how to go about doing that? Yeah. I mean, that's part of why, partly why I wrote this book is to cast a vision. I use the Venn diagram, right, of two overlapping circles. You, you can't see my hands, the people that are listening, but, you know, intimacy is not two circles that never meet, but it's also not two circles that just collapse and become one circle with no intimacy is two circles that are, that are joined, mm-hmm. right? where two people still exist, but they join. And that's that's the beauty of love. Loving someone isn't you become me. Loving someone is I wanna honor you and I've also gotta figure out how to honor myself. And the only way we're gonna be able to do that is with Jesus coming in and helping us, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's Trinitarian, it's very Trinitarian um, in that there are th- three distinct entities in the Trinity yeah. and also one. So again, just to kind of paint that picture first, that when you love someone, and if you're already in a marriage, it's hard. It's easier on the front end to be like, let's cast this vision for a marriage where we want to honor each other. What are the things, like you said, what are our, what are the most important things to you? What are the big picture things? And what are the things you can compromise on? Because we got to have those. When you're already 20, 10, 20, 30 years into marriage, it's harder. It's mm-hmm. not impossible to go back and go, let's, and, and some of that, that's some of the most profound work I do with people when it's like, they're doing that surgery of going, oh, we've got to create a little more space because one of us got lost yeah. in this, but you can do it. Yeah. If, what do you do if you are in that relationship mm-hmm. or that marriage that's 20, 30 years, 10 years, mm-hmm. it's not at the beginning yeah. of it. And you discover, like you're starting to discover yourself. Yeah. How do you, how do you begin that conversation whenever like you have so much history together. It's really, really hard. And the hope is that the, the partner, because, it, because the partner's cut and gotten use in the, even the best of, if in an abusive yeah. situation, it's a whole different deal. You're going to have to, you know, there's, I talk about the spectrum of toxicity. If it's a toxic situation where the other person is not open, it's a different skill set and you're going to need to get help and you're going to need to get support and you're going to need to get a therapist that understands that in a situation where it's just like the other person's confused and they're like i don't know who you are this is just different you you know you i talk a lot in chapter nine about the delicacy of learning to speak up for yourself without necessarily blaming the other person we know from the gottmans and the marriage research that criticism contempt is the death knell of a marriage so as you're learning to go, oh my gosh, because in some ways, and I, and I mean this again, if the other person isn't toxic, it's almost like we've trained people to think of us as only existing for them, if you're a helper, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it's like, I've got to start figuring out how to assert my needs, but how that usually shows up is I'm mad. I'm mad at you that you aren't reading my mind. I'm mad at you that you aren't coming and rescuing me. And it's like, oh, I've got to figure out how to start saying, I can't do this anymore. I know I told you that I could, I can't. You know what I mean? Like taking our ownership of and responsibility of, and and our partner might be, well, that's weird. I don't like that at first. Mm -hmm. I need you to be patient with me. I'm going through a process. I'm realizing I haven't been as healthy. I wanna be healthier. If I'm healthier, our marriage is gonna be healthier. I promise Mm -hmm. you, you know, and then you, you get a marriage counselor if you need it, but you're, you're letting that other person know, I'm not doing this to, I'm doing this for the betterment. I have to grow, which means our marriage has to grow, which yeah. means you're going to have to change. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. do this together, right? You always want to come at it from that angle. Hmm. Another big idea that you write about in there is you talk about, uh, you do talk about boundaries in there and you say that yeah, sometimes that, uh, sometimes we don't set a boundary just because we don't we don't want to actually set the boundary for it. Yeah. Can you talk about that? And what are, what are some of the reasons that you keep seeing that it's like, yep, here's why people tend not to want to set boundaries? Millions of reasons. I mean, we they, I see it all the time in my practice and in my own life. 
Um, it's hard. <laughs> Number one, it's hard. We're scared. Um, it requires significant deep tissue change because we haven't been conditioned mm -hmm. to do it. If you if we didn't weren't taught as children how to establish, think about that. Really, a parent's job is to help their children say no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Say I don't like that. You know, if we weren't taught that, it's really hard mm -hmm. to learn how to do that in our adult relationships. We fear losing people. It gets into attachment stuff. I don't go into this in the book, but if we have an anxious attachment, um, and I'm going to go to somebody that to whom I'm attached, albeit maybe in an unhealthy way, and say, "No, thank you." I'm terrified of losing that person mm. because I want that person, right? And I don't know. So there's a lot of fear. There's we don't want to disappoint other people. We feel guilty. We don't want to hurt other people. All that conditioning we talked about comes into play when it comes to setting boundaries. Hmm. Can you talk about the anxious attachment a mm -hmm. little bit more and what that looks like? Yeah, I mean that that goes back to childhood again, where you know if your caregiver expected you, you know if you received love when you towed the line and were good. Mm -hmm. You understand attachment in your in your nervous system. It's not even co conscious. You were you learned. Oh, people will stay if I always do what they want me to do, mm -hmm. and I want people to stay. It will be it, if they because if our parent, if our parent punished us by withholding love when we stepped out of line, we learned I will be desperately alone and unloved if I do something wrong. So we have that anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. And parent, caregivers can, can reinforce that in all sorts of ways, you know, unintentionally in many cases, but that maps onto our adult relationships, right? Mm -hmm. We start to fear that our partners will leave us you know, and, and, and it's, you can you can kind of test it with your partner. Be like, I want to say no, but I'm afraid you're going to be mad at me. And a healthy partner will be like, I'm not going to be mad. I just want to know, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they're like, where did you get that idea? Well, probably way back in childhood. Yeah. Hmm. And is that just how you work through it or how else can we work through that? I, I, go, I did a whole episode on my podcast on attachment with because it is a it's all I don't talk about it in the best of you because there was just so much in it. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a lot of what I talk about in chapter um, seven, healing childhood wounds. I go through a lot of these, I don't use the word attachment, but it's really what I'm talking about, which is um, learning to take these small steps of building trust in yourself. And then in chapter um, eight, the chapter on friendship, I talk about testing relationships, introducing very small, boundaries, very small statements of preference into safe relationships and not to test the other person, but to build your muscle of the world is not going to collapse. If I say, oh, I'd rather not do that today. And you know what, even if that other person is mad or disappointed, the world will not collapse. And you do that to show yourself that, mm. okay, it's okay, right? I'm reparenting myself. Yeah. I'm building yeah. trust with myself by mm. taking those small steps. So a lot of that is in those very practical steps are chapter seven um, and chapter eight. That's where I'm getting into testing your relationships. Yeah. Again, not to put the other person on trial, but to show yourself. Mm. You can show up a little more honestly, a little more authentically, and the sky won't fall. Mm. Might be scary, <laughs> but you're with you. God is with you, and you'll find out a couple of other people also really like it when you do that too. Mm -hmm. Some people won't, not everybody. Yeah. Uh, can you just share what might one of those uh, testing actions be? You know, it, it might be as simple as I remember vivid. I do it all the time because I mm -hmm. have, I if I'm going into a new relationship, a no, an authentic no, you know, friend that you really like and you really want them to like you. The temptation is to fawn and just, especially as three, on a three, two, especially yeah. as a three to just be whatever they want me to oh, be. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I'll, I'll, I'll look for opportunities to say, you know what? I can't do that today. 
not apologize, not make up an excuse, just sit with the discomfort of displeasing someone. Mm-hmm. How do they respond? Do they respond with, cool, great, thanks for telling me? Or do they respond with, well, that's annoying. I'm paying attention. I'm yeah. paying attention. It's that simple. It's yeah. that simple for some of us. Mm-hmm. Very small, you know, I, I think I'm, you know, to your spouse, I'm, they really want to do this thing. I want to do it too. I'm, I'm at capacity. So here's where I've got a limit. Could we negotiate on it? Just a simple statement. That's vulnerable, but it's so important. Mm. Uh, one question that I have is, uh, do you have a hard stop at 40, at 45? And if so, that's okay. I should. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's that's yeah. no problem. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yep. We could go, you're asking great questions. I love this. No, that's... That's great. I just want to make sure that I'm respect. I'm respecting Thanks. your time yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. Just as we're wrapping up, uh, one other thing that I always love to ask is there is there and I know we could go on and on and on and on. I know for this. Um, is there anything just top of mind that we haven't talked about or covered that is pertinent to what we have been talking about for you know the last hour or so? Gosh, it's been such a great conversation, Caleb. You ask really good questions. Um, really digging deep into what does this work mean, right? Of mm-hmm. becoming a true self, not a selfish self, but a true self. And I guess um, even the theology, you know, sometimes I always want to remind people this is a partnership with God. I think this is part of the work mm-hmm. of showing up more authentically is deeply honoring mm. to ourselves to God and to other people, because we don't do anybody else any favors, you know, by not showing up with very deeply connected to who we really are. We can lead people on, Mm -hmm. you know, we can overcommit. Um, There's just a lot of ways. So I, I, I think you've just touched on so much of this so deeply. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how I want to end it is I want to end it with a quote that you have at at the end of the book, which was just, I, I just love this part so much. And I would love for you to elaborate and then, you know, give your final thoughts and final word on it is, and I think it's the last chapter, you close the book by saying, you know that you have arrived at this when you can hold two ideas side by side in yourself. The first mm. is I am equipped. I have what it takes. Mm. And the second is I will face setbacks. I will make mistakes. Can you just talk about that as we close our conversation? Yeah, I think that gets at the freedom. When when you asked me, you know, what I learned after the stroke, that's that freedom I was talking about. It's like, oh, freedom isn't, oh, I figured it all out. I'll be good. Freedom is, oh, I'm good, even if and when I make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. I've learned the freedom of knowing, not hiding from myself, not hiding from God, which means there's a freedom to both feel really capable and really good about how I show up in the world and also, okay, (laughs) I am going to be human. Um, So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book, The Best of You, and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Yeah, the book is um, anywhere books are sold. I do the audio version as well. If you want to listen to me, read it. Um, so you can go to Amazon or wherever you get your books. And uh, I have a weekly podcast and newsletter that comes out every Thursday. Uh, you can sign up for get free, a bunch of freebies. It's drallisoncook.com. And I'm on socials, Dr. Allison Cook. Awesome. Well, Allison, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And just thanks for doing the work and just a great conversation. Thanks for having me. coming out of that conversation there's there's just so much that I could talk about but I think the the thing that really stood out to me is identifying the ways of of self-rejection or self-rejection that we either put on ourselves or we feel like someone else has put on us and learning to identify just those those behaviors those patterns those those signs that show up in us of of self-rejection and and 
looking at whether or not we believe that we're rejecting ourselves because we don't believe that we're good enough to be on our own or we don't feel like we're good enough to we're just not good enough we don't feel like we're good enough and how that ties into codependency how that ties into really i guess just the self self-rejection because we believe that we need somebody else we believe that we need to do more we believe that we need to be affirmed more by somebody else and learning to identify those different things of learning to become more comfortable with asserting yourself and that's that's been a big part of my journey which i have uh which i talked about a part of this conversation as well of learning to find your voice learning to stand up for yourself so that's really the thing that comes to my mind just from this conversation and there's just uh so much good stuff i love learning about these things and and just working through all of the the bleep that can sometimes you know keep us from being you know being the person that god made us to be so if you enjoyed this conversation you know please subscribe to the podcast do all of that stuff leave a rating write a review you can also if you're enjoying this stay up to date with everything that's happening by subscribing to the newsletter which i create each and every single week with all of the best resources things that i and learning from from youtube videos to literally it could just be about anything music just all sorts of different things that i'm just enjoying learning from thinking about all that stuff and i and it comes out each and every single week so those are the things that i'm thinking about and how you can keep up with me and that's all that i have for today so i do want to say thank you to sam massey for creating the music for this podcast Thank you to Allison for joining me today in the Learner's Corner. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.